0: Also, a note, anyone who knows me knows that all roads begin and end with Mary Testa, and I...
1: (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Showdown 2023, the same musical theater bracket podcast you love, just with a new name. This year, it's all about Tony performances. My name is Alex Schneidman. Hello, everybody welcome back to showdown uh i promise this isn't an, A- an ai voice doing this uh introduction it's just me alex schneidman here to walk us through the uh the right side of the bracket in what is round two uh we have two excellent guests uh guest judges with us here today one long time seasoned veteran and uh, one rookie. Uh, to our seasoned veteran, Rosie Jo. Introduce yourself.
2: My name is Rosie Jo Netty. I'm 23 years old and I'm a fucking Libra.
1: <laughs> Eli?
0: <laughs> How do I follow that? Um, hello, my name is Eli Newell. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. I may be a rookie, but I am a long time podcast listener, including but not limited to this season. Um, so I am honored to be here and, uh, I'm really excited. I'm calling in from Chicago, Illinois.
1: You're not going to lie about your age.
0: No, I'm, I'm 27 and I have nothing to hide.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. 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 Uh, your, your, your gracious podcast host turns 27, uh, the day after this podcast gets released. So, uh, if you're listening, happy birthday, no, we're not doing this. Um, but if you're listening, you can text me um or instagram dm me but you have to listen to the podcast that's that's how i'm going to get people to say happy birthday you see you have to you have to listen to the podcast and then if you don't you feel bad when you say happy birthday because i'll be like you didn't listen to the podcast you see okay anyway we have one matchup determined by the public vote already uh that matchup is the first one at the very top of our side of the bracket it's between Spring Awakening from 2007 and uh, Hairspray from 2003. Uh, Spring Awakening won almost 80% of the public vote, um, smashing Hairspray to pieces, and uh, it advances to the next round where we'll discover its, uh, its competitor uh, as we continue discussing. Um,
2: Can I say something? Yeah. I know it doesn't matter, but I, I do disagree with that. Um, and here's why. I, I just, to put this in, in today's context, I don't think Spring Awakening, I don't think they let loose enough. Yeah, I think Hairspray, the performance is much freer, um, involves much more ecstasy, tells like a more complete story in one number than Spring Awakening does in a medley. I also don't like how they cover their mouths for but change the lyric from breast to chest. There's just a lot of little things I don't like about it. And I, I feel them holding on. I feel them holding. And I I feel like that nerd MT trying to be cool thing, not quite succeeding in moments. And I feel like Hairspray does succeed and, and truly lets loose.
1: Well, Rosie, speaking of succeeding, our first matchup here is the closest matchup it is between Rent from 1996 and How to Succeed from 2011. Uh, this is a matchup I put on Instagram. Before I put it on Instagram, it was very close. After I put it on Instagram, it's not as close, but it is still our closest matchup. So what say you guys? Anything to to, to contribute? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, I feel pretty strongly that this one is Rent. Um, I am a Rent head myself. Um, you know, it was very formative to my theatrical education. I had the two-disc, chunky CD set in my house, would listen to it frequently. Um, and I also think that the performance stands on its own as a better performance. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the 2011 or 2012 Tonys at the Beacon Theatre with the uh, video backdrop. Uh, there are many things about it that I find undynamic. Um, and I think that those things are very well on display in this How to Succeed performance, although it was a lovely production of How to Succeed. I did see it. I loved D. E. Radcliffe, just like anyone. Um, but I think if you're going to look at a production of How to Succeed or a Tony performance of How to Succeed, you have to go to one of the other productions of How to Succeed, which I think both outshine this one by a long shot. Um, so I'm in the rent camp myself.
1: Rosie Joe,
2: I tend to um, have... Pitched my tent in the same camp. Um, I do enjoy this performance of How to Succeed, um, but there's something visceral, visceral about the performance of Rent. Um, some things to point out is how Idina Menzel can't stop smiling during Seasons of Love. She's so thrilled to be at the Tonys. Um, you know, there, there's a moment that involves How to Succeed from this Tonys that really stands out. For me, and it's not this one. I remember in, um, at some point, Daniel Radcliffe gets the mic and he thanks the Broadway community for being so welcoming to him. And as, like, a little kid watching, that really, like, shook me because I was like, oh, my God, he's, he's Daniel Radcliffe. He's Harry Potter. Like, of course, people would be welcoming to him, but then at the same time, it it kind of made me realize, like, Oh, like, in the theater world, like, an actor is an actor. And, like, I don't know. That is what I remember from this Tony's. I I appreciate how short Daniel Radcliffe looks in the number, but it's not enough to, like, <laughs> put it over rent for me.
1: All right. We're going to vote. Eli, you have five votes.
0: Yeah, I'm giving uh, one to How to Succeed and four to Rent.
1: And Rosie Joe, Five, Rent. Whoa. Wow. Well, uh, Rent won this public vote uh, 60% to 40%. Uh, if your votes had been split differently, um, this would have ended up in a tie, and I would have had to uh, resolve it, uh, but... You didn't give three votes to Rent and seven votes to How to Succeed. You gave nine votes to Rent. uh, And therefore, it proceeds to the next round. Uh, I love that performance. Dana Radcliffe boogies his little butt off. Uh, Our next matchup, our next closest matchup, is between Waitress 2016 and opening 2012. Uh, A curious one. What say you?
2: For me, a piece of art about the thing is never going to outweigh the thing itself. And that's what I'll put on the table to start the convo.
0: Oh, I love what you just said. I, I feel um, deeply aligned with where you're headed, I think. Um I return to this 2012 opening performance frequently as a really great example of what not to do um, when hosting the Tony Awards. I I do not blame Neil Patrick Harris. I put the blame squarely on his producers and potentially his writers for this number. Um, I think that this is easily the low point in the cadence of three back-to-back Tonys that he hosted um, because the 2011 and the 2013 have such a clear point of view um, in not just for gays anymore and bigger. And this one, I think actually follows the blueprint that he recycled a bit for the Oscars very unsuccessfully years later in 2015, which is like the shtick of, I love this thing, I love show business, and that's all I have to say about it. It's very much what James Corden does when he hosts something too. Um, and I find that a really successful host has a much stronger point of view. Um, so I also think it's an under-rehearsed number. Uh, there's, you know, specific entry points to the on- onset of, like, the downbeat that feel really weird. Um, and
2: There are multiple mistakes. Multiple mistakes. Which, has, which have not been brought to the table
0: yet. No, and none of which uh, rest with Patty. Obviously, she executes flawlessly, as she always does. But, um, you know, short of Patty with the lawnmower... I'm not sure that anything in this opening number really is successful for me.
2: Yeah, I encourage everyone to go to the end of this clip and take a good look at Andrew Garfield in the audience um, and his face at the end and call him Jamie Lee because he is all of us. (laughs) I would also like to say in favor of Waitress that that performance we've been talking a lot in this ongoing conversation about what these specific shows did for the medium, the medium of musical theater. But I think that that waitress performance did something for the medium of Tony award performances, because I can't think of another Tony awards performance where the writer separately from the actors performs a number from their piece Um, Lin-Manuel is a little different since he originated the role. Um, And so that transition of Sarah at the piano to Jesse Mueller on the couch brings something new and, in my opinion, exciting to this medium of here's a three minute clip of our show for the Tony's.
0: Rosie, to that point, you know, I I think Carol King might be an example, but it's a very different presentation um, in that she's kind of joining along with them and not so much like standing alone. Um, Right. And it's a jukebox musical, which is very different from Waitress, which is an original musical. Uh, I will just add also, you know, I think one of the cool things that, Alex, you've really done by introducing this topic for the podcast this year is you get at the subculture of like what constitutes a successful standalone performance from a larger narrative piece I feel like themes that have been touched on is like if you've got the kick-ass individual soloist versus like big group number versus sort of makeshift medley that doesn't actually exist in the show, but that we, you know, construct for the telecast. Um, I think this is a clear example. In 2016, a year where there was a lot of busy theatrical performance happening, this is the one that stands out as, oh, Jesse Mueller, she really cuts through the like and the fandom of waitress, we've heard all about the different she used to be, minds and whose is the best, and who sings, you know, the highest note or has the weirdest option up or the riffs. Honestly, like you really can't get better than that woman acting on that stage and and doing it as intended with like a really strong sense of character.
1: I have a I have a sense that uh, that you guys not I have a sense I you guys basically agree with the uh, with the public here. Uh, Eli, what you said about 2016 is very interesting because that was obviously the Hamilton year. And like every commercial break was like next up a a performance from Hamilton when it would be like sunrise sunset from Fiddler and then more awards and then Hamilton would come later. So I really agree that this this performance sets itself apart from the School of Rock performance, the Hamilton performance, like there's a lot of performances in this one show that are special, but this one is, is as well. Eli, what are your votes? Five to Waitress. Rosie Joe,
2: Five to Waitress.
1: Wow. Smashing. Um, Waitress won this matchup uh, 62% to 38% in the public vote. You guys gave it 100% of your votes. So it vaults to the next round uh, where we'll find out who it's going up against later. Next up, we have interesting Miss Saigon twenty seventeen, Ragtime nineteen ninety eight. I think this is an interesting one.
0: I'll just I'll just start by saying, um, did anyone else on this call listen to um, or watch the DVD box set Broadway's Lost Treasures as a child? They were often available in Barnes and Noble or Borders. Um, it was basically like a, a collection of, of Tony Award performances pre-YouTube, where now, of course, they're readily accessible, um, but they were DVD box sets of past Tony Award performances with Broadway-adjacent um, like announcers sort of giving a Turner Classic Movies-style introduction to the Tony performance. Um, and one of, the, one of the performances, if I'm not mistaken was Ragtime, one of the newer ones. I mean, they go way back to, like, the 60s and maybe even the 50s. Um, But I remember watching the Ragtime performance not even knowing what Ragtime was and thinking, like, this is theater. This is why I want to do this. I didn't know anything about the show. I didn't know anything about the characters. I was probably four years old, five years old, maybe. And... It, there was something so hypnotic about the way that this story was told with these three amoebas of ensemblists weaving into one another and telling these really specific stories of American history. Um, I just am, you know, still in awe of this performance, and I think it, it it really stands on its own as one of my favorite Tony performances of all time, and of course one of my favorite opening numbers of all time.
2: I agree, and i I think that. The for the same reasons it's one of my favorite opening numbers of all time. It's one of the best Tony performances of all time because it does such a perfect would I cut the celebrities, maybe, but that they aren't in this in this uh iteration. Anyway, nearly perfect job of introducing the themes of this piece, uh, the characters, and in a in a, in a level, with a level of exhilaration that feels nearly unmatched. And I am always thrilled to see evil, sorry, <laughs> Eva uh, Noblezada on my screen. In fact, my note for Hades Town was, why didn't they use her more? Um, and I think she does such beautiful work in this scene, but for me, ragtime is just it. It's also, it's, the staging is so simple and yet I think it's important to point out how difficult it is to move in such tight groups like that. Like the amoeba stay so compact. The energy is just, it pierces. It, when I watch this number, it makes me want to like make an argument for every Tony performance to be the opening number of the show because it's like, Here's what you would see if you came to see the show at first. like, And then it's like, if this is the first episode of the series, do you click watch next episode? And, of course, there's more strategy to it than that, but that's something I've always been interested in, is, like, what if the Tony Awards were just every show's opening number? Do you want to see more from here? And with Ragtime, it's, like, a resounding yes. Of course, the cynic in me is like, if only... Ragtime stayed at that level, I like, the entire show, but that's not really the point.
0: Um, and to, to quickly follow up on the Ava the Noblazada point, she's wonderful. She's mesmerizing. Um, she's dynamic. She's doing something in that moment of really, like, having a conversation with the legacy of Leia Salonga and her performance in that production, which is, is still remembered today by so many people as just being this amazing watershed moment of leading lady lore. Um, and,
2: and such a delight to see her introduce it like that is history. That's ancestry. That's that's Broadway.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we love we love Ava. This is no shade to Ava, but she's going up against, in my opinion, a number
1: one seed. Well, we're going to move to votes here. Eli? Uh,
0: five to Ragtime.
1: Rosie Joe,
2: Five Ragtime. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh, So Ragtime won the public vote here. Um, It it had 64% of the public vote. You guys gave it 100% of your votes. And thus, it moves on to the next round. Now, we will see who will go up against Spring Awakening in our next round. The matchup we're going to is guys and dolls 2009 gypsy 2003 with bernadette peters any thoughts crowd following up on my uh open
0: mouth pause at the very beginning when we were talking about the pre-decided um, matchup of spring awakening and hairspray i was just going to offer that that spring awakening performance i think opens up a very interesting subculture in an already interesting subculture of Tony Award performances, which is sound engineering malfunctions at Radio City Music Hall, one of my favorite high camp topics. (laughs) And what I was gonna say in response to Rosie is that I actually really like that Spring Awakening performance for all of the reasons that you sort of knock it. I think (laughs) that the bleeping with like Bill T. Jones' arms is very funny. Um, I really enjoy the way that they go out of their way to say bitch, but then they like recraft the lyrics describing parts of the AMAB reproductive system in Bitch of Living. Um I think all of those things are very interesting and I enjoy hearing Leah Michelle and the girls giggling when they get off stage right after Mama Who Bore Me Reprise as The Bitch of Living starts. Um, So I would love a supercut of all of the times that the Radio City Music Hall space has been impossible to sound engineer. And I think it segues nicely into this idea of watching this feat of improvisatory um, salvaging and knocking it out of the park. Uh, that performance from Titus is just unbelievable. Um, You know, that I remember watching it on TV and thinking like, Guys and Dolls—that's stupid. Who cares about this revival? Blah blah blah. I'm in it for other reasons this year. Um, and then just being completely knocked out of my seat and you know giving a standing ovation in my living room, which he deserves. Uh, as we're talking about this, I already forgot the other thing that is in this bracket with Guys and Dolls, which I'm now remembering. Gypsy. Is the Sam Mendes Gypsy of 2003, an inferior production, um, but an amazing performance by Bernadette Peters, of course, and I believe. I might be wrong about this, but I think that there is a um, Tony lore that this is the longest standing ovation that was ever received by a Tony performance, um, at least up until recent history. I don't know if it's been surpassed, especially like pre-1990s. They didn't really stand up for anything like Jennifer Holiday didn't even get a standing ovation in 1982 for Dreamgirls. Um, so Bernadette, I know, was super sick. Um, in that run of Gypsy and especially leading up to Tony season, which is notoriously difficult to manage for performers doing like eight shows a week and then early morning TV spots and having to go do rehearsals and red carpets and all of that. Um, and you know, she acts through it. Like she, she manages to produce sound. She sounds good. And she gives just an amazing performance. Um, even though I really hate when people do Franken cuts in the Julie Stein, Stephen Sondheim masterpiece. Um, So it's a tough matchup. I think that they're both like phenomenal. Um, And honestly, I don't even know how I'm going to vote. I'm going to wait till the moment and just send it.
2: Yeah, I, it's a complete delight to watch Titus go on the journey of realizing what's going on. Um, And his vocal performance is just spectacular. Um, And the entire number has an energy that I really appreciate. Um, I'm leading Bernadette, and there are a couple things that happen before she even enters the stage that I want to point out. Um, The first is Hugh Jackman's hair. It's so straight and so shiny, and there's something super off-putting about that. The second thing is, I'm really glad that they include the um, short video where Bernadette shares that she played Dainty June on the second national tour when she was 13, because it allows all of us um to participate in this conversation of what does it mean for the person playing mama rose to quite literally have not been born too soon and started too late in like such a direct way like a dainty june mama rose i couldn't help but think as i rewatched this performance in this context and in the context of this is a night about broadway history like Watching her do this song, it felt like, and I don't know, maybe this is nuts, but it, it felt like if the three characters that she's singing about are like June, Louise, and Rose, that for Bernadette in this moment, it almost felt like I was watching this personal moment of hers where she, when she sings about June, she's singing about like her former self and her childhood. And when she sings about Louise, she's singing about, like, her adulthood and her career. And when she sings about Rose, she's singing about, like, herself as a person and a human being. And that, to me, was was very moving to have the chance to observe.
1: We're going to vote. We're going right to it. Eli. I'm going to
0: give three to Gypsy and two to Guys and Dolls.
1: Rosie Joe? Five Gypsy. Wow. <laughs> here's here's what happened. Okay? Uh guys and dolls won this public vote uh 65 to 35. Um the split here is 2 to 8. So in the cumulative vote, when all of the math trickles through the the spreadsheet, is fifty point one percent to forty nine point nine percent in favor of Guys and Dolls, because Gypsy needed nine of your votes, uh, and Guys and Dolls only needed two. So when Eli said. Two to guys and dolls. I knew where this was going already, and thus guys and dolls squeaks by, and we'll go up against Spring Awakening in the next round. Um, our next matchup is uh between the color purple and Newsies. I have a, I have a sense, I know where this is going, um, but I still Want to hear what you guys have to say.
2: When I watch the Color Purple performance and I watch Alphaba sing her song, it makes me feel grateful to be alive. When I watch the Newsies performance, I, I feel super grateful that someone came up with the idea to have the newspapers split on the floor.
0: I I definitely want to give props to Chris Catelli, who obviously is a legend in his own right, and I'm sure did really remarkable work MacGyvering that Tony performance for Newsies. Um, I actually think there are things to pick apart about both of these performances, despite the Cynthia isolated aspect of Color Purple, which I really wish was the whole thing, to be honest. Um, one of my, I guess, axes to grind is when people like to shoehorn multiple numbers just for the sake of giving more coverage to the production. Um, and especially like swapping vocal parts and doing weird things about that. I, I don't love it. It feels a little bit rushed and careless. I also feel a little weird watching all of the people standing around Cynthia on stage, having seen the production. But I just wonder if there were, maybe would have been a more successful way to isolate on this performer who was really walking away with that season as a performer when it was a season that was really swept up in the Hamilton um, obsession. And I don't totally know that the performance gets there, but I agree with you, Rosie, that watching her do it is is a transporting experience.
2: Yeah, I really love Danielle Brooks and Heather Hadley GoCat's performances But I agree there would've been something so powerful about Cynthia Erivo walks onto the stage, she hits the X center center and she sings the song. Even though I love spectacle and I think the best team in the world um, is like spectacle and emotion and that each can be used to like build up the other and create like this transcendent emotional experience like when paired unfortunately i think especially in the beginning before the dancey dancey dance starts that the newsies actors it just feels a little like they're playing at the emotion versus like experiencing it and especially when put up against um cynthia who like it she, I, like she is feeling it so hard that i can't help but feel it like it's, it's hard to not see the Newsies acting as a little, like Disney, I made a choice.
1: Now, we're gonna vote. Eli. Four to Color Purple, one to Newsies. RJN.
2: Five, Color Purple.
1: Predictably, uh, the Color Purple won this matchup. Uh, it actually got exactly two thirds of the public vote. Uh, with your votes, it goes to the next round. Now, we have an interesting situation, a situation that has befallen every duo that has had to judge this bracket so far. The next two matchups would require both of you to put all five of your votes onto the song that lost the public vote to for it to survive. Um Seeing as you guys have been swinging five voters around, um, I'm going to tell you which song is is winning in each one, but we can talk about them briefly. So the first matchup is between Once on this Island and Hair. Uh, Once on this Island just needs one of your 10 votes to go to the next round hair needs all 10 of them. Um, You think there's a reality where you guys both put all five of your votes on hair 1969.
0: I can do the mental gymnastics in my head, but it would be um, dishonest in the way that I have voted previously in this bracket. Uh Uh, So I don't, there's a world where I give all five
1: RJN the game.
2: i Thing here is like uh, the reason I've been giving fives is not because like I think the second choices have no merit, but like I knew I would be upset with myself if like the the one I wanted to win didn't win because I split my votes and only there can, it's a bracket so there can only be one winner. So, um, I I feel comfortable letting the public decide.
1: Me as well. All right. So, uh, once on this island is going to advance to the next round where it will go up against Ragtime. Now our, our last matchup to talk about uh, is between Hadestown and Hamilton. Um, go for it, guys.
2: Although I prefer um, the Hamilton number, what I'll say is when I sat and watched this Tony Awards live, um, we have to remember this was the tie this was a time where no one could really get a ticket to Hamilton. Right. Um, Not a lot of people had seen it because tickets were so hard to come by. And so, as you said, we were all very excited to see it. And I have to admit, if the traditional formula is let's show them something to get like butts in seats, this performance felt to me at the time like let's. If we show them too much, they might not try as hard to get their butts in seats. So let's give, like, it was, I was like Yorktown. It was like, what can we show them that they won't say, okay, I feel comfortable putting off trying for a couple of years. Like, at least I've seen satisfied. And so I won't like pay the X hundred of dollars. Until like it, ticket sales calmed down a little, it felt like the opposite of marketing. Does that make sense?
0: I really, I really agree with that take, and I actually think it's why I prefer the Hamilton performance. Mm. Um, to take that uh, analogy and kind of use it for Hades Town, what's so interesting about that is that Hades Town takes this climactic moment in the show that is completely far and away the most high spectacle, high intensity catharsis, at least in 75% of that musical. And they f- chose to both feature it and also flatten and destroy it by putting it on a different stage with a different set. So I, I think that sound is really disappointing because of the way that, um, they sort of bury the lead in this reveal. And, um, I don't, I don't appreciate it, you know? So I think it would have been a much better choice to do something like, uh, way down Hadestown or, um, you know, I don't know, even something with, with, um, Amber and, and Patrick, just mm-hmm. to show the two of them and their talents. But yeah, I, I, I think that the Hamilton one is just really solid. Like when I think of it, I just think solid and, uh, That's what they needed to do.
1: You know? Yeah. So, uh, you guys completely agree with the crowd here. So, uh, we're just going to say Hamilton goes to the next round. If it had gotten, let's see, I think if it had gotten, if it had received one more, uh, public vote, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So, uh, it moves on to the next round where we, we'll see a battle of 2016 between Waitress and Hamilton. So our uh, the, the right side of our bracket looks like this. At the top, we've got Spring Awakening versus Guys and Dolls. We've got Waitress versus Hamilton. The Color Purple versus Rent. Once on this Island versus Ragtime. Some pretty, some pretty interesting matchups there. Thank you guys for getting us, getting us over this, uh, this troublesome boundary. Uh, now, I open it up to you. Uh, Eli, do you have anything to plug?
0: I do have something to plug. Um, I would like to suggest that anyone who has the bandwidth and the capacity right now uh, reads a book called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Um, it's, my friends are tired of me talking about it because I always like get really excited about books that I read that I really like, but it's a really amazing, um, insightful piece and it takes a very holistic look at the role that tech plays in our lives, the role that, um, media consumption, tech device, um, codependence, all of those very hot button issues Um, that I think we're seeing, especially in the, in the news media around, um, the congressional oversight of technology. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to hear a perspective that like can also weigh the individual with the collective and the idea of what it actually looked like, what it looks like to regulate technology and to also protest technology, um, as a, as a community force. So I think it's required reading for anyone that can get their hands on it. Um, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari.
1: You're, you're speaking my language, Rabbi Newell. That's, that's, that's right there for me. RJN, Rosie Jo, what do you got?
2: You know, all I can say is my Instagram handle is Rojo Ned.
1: That's all um, you can say.
2: That's all I could possibly say other than, uh-huh. uh, you know, friendship.
1: Plug in friendship. That's big. We, you know, especially we're going into the spring now, now is a great time for friendship. Uh, anyway thank you you two next week uh, we finally bring both halves of the bracket together and uh, we we deal with our final 16 songs uh, so voters if you're listening when you go to my website you'll have a chance to vote for the whole bracket this time uh, Thank you Eli Thank you Rosie Joe and uh, everybody listening go vote. All roads begin and end with Mary Testa is an all time podcast line. <laughs>